For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the 312th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Daniel M. Ford, author of the new crime novel, Cheap Heat. Stay tuned for the interview. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Daniel M. Ford, the author of the new novel, Cheap Eat. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, Cheap Heat, yet, how would you describe the novel? Uh, I would describe it as uh, an unprepared private investigator uh, turns bodyguard for a wrestler on the independent circuit uh, in the mid-Atlantic and um, is not ready for the uh, challenges he's going to face. And is there something about the private eye genre that appealed to you? Yeah, I've, I've read the private eye genre um, on and off since I was, I don't know, maybe 15 or so. I think I picked up my first Spencer novel by Robert B. Parker. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've read all of the Spencer novels, um, including the, the continuation of the series by Ace Atkins. Um, I... I you know, it's it tends to be a formulaic genre, and I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel um, with Jack Dixon. I, I sort of just wanted to see if I could do it. And do you remember the original idea that led you to write Cheap Heat? So, the I remember the original idea that led to me writing um, the Jack Dixon series, which Cheap Heat's the second book. Right. So I, I can't say specifically why I decided to have Jack enter the world of um, like regional professional wrestling. Um, but I, I was, I had been writing fantasy um, for so, so dedicatedly for, you know, eight straight years, more or less. And my brain was kind of stuck there and couldn't, um, I couldn't break out of a rut and I was having productivity problems. And I had this thought of, you know, what if I have a guy who lives on a houseboat, um, in, you know, a real place I'm very familiar with in the region I grew up in and, and still live in and work in. Um, and so that sort of became, he sort of became a private eye, uh, because that was the sort of the easiest thing to lend itself to that solitary, 
you know, first person narrator life. Sure. And so, um, what was it, uh, or how was it making the transition from fantasy to, um, the private eye genre? In some ways it was really refreshing because I didn't have to invent places. Um, since I, I set Jack Dixon, like I said, where around where I grew up and, and where I work, um, in Cecil County, Maryland, um, I didn't have to come up with like an imagined landscape, you know, I could have them go to real places. Um, a lot of them are imagined anyway, because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to create a mob owned, you don't want to name a real restaurant in a real town and say the mob owns it. <laughs> right. <Wow>. Um, <laughs> so you don't want to name a real school and say it's corrupt and run for the benefit of, you know, the rich kids that go there. Um, especially not because I teach at a private school in Cecil County. <laughs> I didn't want people to get that impression. So, so in some ways it, it's refreshing. I don't have to make up languages. I don't have to make up imagined landscapes. Um, in other ways it's, you know, it's a challenge to suddenly realize you can't, you know, there, you can't use magic <laughs> to fix any plot holes anymore. Um, you can't use magic to fix any, fix any problems. You, um, you have to be a little more aware of things like, you know, the law and how violence is actually regarded, um, in, you know, a real 20th century, 21st century society. And that, you know, you can't go around, uh, can't go around in enforcing your will by just sort of overwhelming anybody who disagrees with you. That's right. So what were you, what are your earliest memories of reading and books and then later writing your own fiction? So my earliest memory of books, um, there's probably two. One is my dad reading me The Hobbit when I was either three or four. I was very young. And I had the chicken pox um, over like Easter. Um, and my dad read The Hobbit to me then. So that's fell in love with the fantasy genre. I also remember reading a lot of, if you remember the old... Um, like storybooks that would come with a cassette tape and it was like a storybook of a movie that also had a cassette tape that you could listen to and read the book yep, that would have pictures of the movie. I remember having the Return of the Jedi uh, storybook with cassette and I think Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I would actually, I, I actually memorized them from listening to the, um, listening to the, the cassette tapes. Um, and then the first time I can remember trying to write my own fiction, I think I was 11 and I was essentially writing fan fiction for a video game, uh, that I played called Knights of Legend. Mm -hmm. And so I know you have an MFA from George Mason university. How did your MFA impact your fiction writing? Well, my MFA is in poetry actually. <laughs> so it's hard to say how it does. Um, Certainly doing an MFA in poetry uh, at George Mason with the poets I got to study with there made me a lot more aware of language and uh, especially the sonic qualities of language and how things sound when they are spoken aloud than I would be otherwise. Um, and were you – go ahead. Go on. No, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, were you writing fiction or trying to write fiction while you are also doing your MFA in poetry? Only very little – Bits. I, I had a, a story that I was sending back and forth with a, a friend of mine that hasn't really gone anywhere. And I, I wrote a couple of short stories that are sort of in a proto vein of, of the world that, that wound up being 
in the Paladin trilogy. Um, but mostly I was concentrated on writing poems, right? Because you got to produce work and write a thesis. Right. And so what was the path to publication for you for your first novel? Um, it was seeing the, uh, a friend of mine, the great, really great fiction writer, uh, Rian Amalkar Scott, um, let me know on Facebook that SFWP, the Santa Fe Writers Project, um, which is located in Bethesda, Maryland. I know that <laughs> Santa Fe Writers Project, <laughs> Bethesda, Maryland, but um, was did an open call for fantasy manuscripts. And at that point, I was almost done with the first draft of the second book in the Paladin trilogy. So, and, and I had been through the, the draft of the first book of Ordination a few times and revised it a few times. So I sent it to their open call. I sent it to that slush pile. And um, it, it just rose up through the slush pile after about nine months. The publisher, Andrew Gifford, read it. And um, so I guess I, I started writing it in 2011. Um, I sold it in December of 2014, I want to say, and it came out in the summer of 2016. And so what is your writing process when you're working on a novel? Do you plot an out? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Line your novels extensively, or do you write more organically? All five of my published novels so far have been written totally by the seat of the pants um writing totally i i don't know what's happening on page 21 or on page 25 till i'm on page 21 um and i keep writing i keep adding to the story without allowing myself to revise or fix anything until i get to the end of a first draft then i open that first draft up and i revise it line by line as many times as i have to and fix all the plot holes and fix all the things that didn't make sense and fix all the continuity errors. And when I named a character three different things, or when I gave a character uh, two different uh, different eye colors, you know, throughout the book, sure. um, up, up to and including forgetting that I, I killed this character on page 30 and here they are on page 75. Yeah. And how many drafts do you think that you end up doing? Uh, I would say total at least probably four or five from top to bottom but there's other parts of the book that get revised a lot more than that right um the opening of because usually when you're you know soliciting agents or publishers it's you know the first 10 pages the first 25 pages the first 50 pages i would say the first 50 pages of ordination 
Um, I rewrote that. It is not an exaggeration to say I rewrote or revised that extensively probably 25 times. And what were you, um, what were the changes in those 25 drafts? What were you trying to get to? I was trying to get to an opening that would grab people faster, right? They say you got to get them in the first, well, it depends on who you ask, right? who, who they are, the first five pages or the first page or the first chapter. And um, the very opening chapter of ordination um, that's, well, the prologue, are actually scenes that I initially wrote at the end of ordination. They were the end of the book. And I decided they worked better if I moved them to the front. And instead of being um, a sort of a villain reacting to things the character had done throughout the book, it was the villain more in the vein of predicting the things that the protagonist was going to do throughout the book. And I think that made it a lot more interesting. Interesting. So what advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? The, I don't think this is an original statement, um, but I don't know who originally said it. The muse shows up when you're already working, right? If you sit and wait for inspiration, it's probably not going to come. But if you try to make a, a schedule and you adhere to it and you get yourself to your desk or your, wherever it is you write, whether you're writing, you know, by hand or the laptop or a typewriter, if you make yourself do that, um, I try to go for five to six days a week, at least two hours at a time. Um, but you know, you can't necessarily jump right to that level, but the, the more you're able to show up and work, the more it will happen. Uh, the creative brains, like any other muscle, the more you use it, the stronger it's going to get. You mentioned earlier Robert B. Parker. I'm curious, are there uh, writers or books that you um, go back to that inspire your own fiction writing? So I definitely reread um, The Lord of the Rings and Tolkien um, probably more frequently than anything else. Um, I occasionally reread um, certain of Robert B. Parker or um, Terry Pratchett novels that I really like, like not the whole series because the entire Discworld series, the entire part, the entire Spencer series are both like over 40 books. Um, but I will pick out individual ones that I really love night watch for Terry Pratchett, uh, Judas goat, um, or, um, uh, there's a couple others for Parker, but I'm struggling to think of the titles. Sure. Catskill Eagle is pretty good. Um, and, uh, I reread Ursula Le Guin a lot, especially the first two books of Earthsea. Um, and who else do I reread a lot? Um, I, I've been trying to do less rereading lately just because I realized there's so many books I haven't already read. Right. Um, I, you know who I reread a lot is the comic book writer, Larry Hama. And for someone with an MFA, I don't know if that's an odd choice. Um, but he, the bulk of what he wrote was the GI Joe comic series of the 1980s, mm-hmm. um, which you'd think is just you know, hackery meant to sell toys and maybe that's how Marvel intended it. But you can tell that Larry Hama always approached it from a character driven perspective. And he was trying to make the, these, you know, toy characters feel like real people with real emotions and real relationships. And, um, I think I reread those comics occasionally when I feel like I need some recharging on the characterization front. And so what books have you read recently, fiction or nonfiction, that you would recommend? 
Uh, I just just finished reading the first book of the Fetch Phillips series um, by Luke Arnold, who is an actor. Uh, he's in the series Black Sails. He started as Long John Silver in that, which I'm also watching and really enjoying. But I found out he wrote a it's it's a private detective novel, but set in a fantasy world. It's called The Last Smile in Sunder City. And I just finished it last night. If you like both of those genres, and obviously I do because I write both of those genres, I'd really recommend it. Um, it's sort of a little bit of a grim, dark fantasy world, but it very identifiably plays the plays with the trope of the, the private detective um, in the sort of Marlowe Spencer style um, set in a world that used to be very magical and filled with every single kind of magical racing creature you can imagine. Interesting. So, um, in, in the, the mini drafts that you mentioned of the first book in the Paladin trilogy and mm -hmm. the writing that you've done in your, um, two books of private eye fiction, um, what, what for you was the, the biggest thing for you to learn in terms of a fiction writer? Um, do do you feel like? So I would say that the biggest thing for me has been the discipline of sticking with it, right? Of mm -hmm. continuing to work at the book until you make it the best book that you can make it. And then once you have the, the luxury of professional editing or you have an agent, um, understanding that at that point it's going to become an even better book than you could make it on your own. Um, but there's just, there's just a certain amount of, I am not going to stop working on this until somebody makes me, <laughs> um, until, until someone physically prevents me from continuing to do this because it's a, it's a tough, tough road to publication. Um, and it's, and you know, you can self publish, but it's a tough, tough road to do that. Well, maybe even tougher in some ways. Um, and you just have to keep reminding yourself that, um, the only person who can really stop you from doing it is you, right? You're the only person who can decide when it's done and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend my time on this anymore. Right. So where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your books? Uh, on Twitter at sounding line, um, that's an old nautical term. I don't know why that's my Twitter handle, but it is um, all one word. Um, and then uh, DanielMFord.com. Um, always happy to hear from readers. Always happy to answer questions unless I unless I can't because it's a spoiler for a next book or a sequel series or something. Those are the main places. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Daniel M. Ford, author of the new novel, Cheap Heat. Go buy a copy of the novel now. And Daniel, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me. Great. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.